All right, so last week, Pastor Ron covered um, Judges 2, verses 6, all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. And so today we'll be discussing chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, let's jump right into the passage. It's uh, Judges 3, verses 7 through 11. Good. Okay, it says, and the, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kishan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Kishan Rishathayim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Kishon Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Kishon Rishathayim. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Okay, so uh, in this passage, uh, we can divide it into three key points. And if you look at your handout, you'll see those three points. And these are pretty much what the um, whole passage is, is about. And so you'll see in point number one, it's that they forgot the Lord their God. Okay. And you'll see point number two, uh, we'll be talking about Israel's cry and the significance of that in this passage. And then point number three, which is that salvation is from the Lord. Okay, so we'll be uh, talking about this passage um, within those three key uh, points. Okay, let's look at point number one. Point number one is, they forgot the Lord their God. So I have a question for you all. Have you ever forgotten something that everyone else seems to remember except you? <laughs> yeah, I can admit that there have been many times when a friend would recall something in full detail involving me, and I had no clue what he was talking about. I just nod my head and laughed as if I knew. But anyway, uh, many of you have heard of amnesia before, right? Many who um, suffer with Alzheimer's disease suffer with the symptom of amnesia. And amnesia simply refers to the loss of memories, such as facts or information and, and experiences. And so you might be thinking, why am I talking about amnesia? Uh, well, as random of a subject as that may seem, it appears to be a problem that the people of God have, or it would seem that way. The only difference is that it isn't because we have a problem with the way our brain functions, but rather a, a moral problem that begins in our hearts, almost like a spiritual amnesia. And if I may add, this is an issue today as much as it was in the past. And we see an example of this in the very first uh, verse of the passage that we've um, read today. And let's read it again. This is verse 7. 
It says here, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And here it is. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Interesting, right? Now, to put it into context, last week, uh, Pastor Ron discussed chapter through, uh, I'm sorry, chapter two, through the beginning of chapter three, um, which was like a like an aerial shot or a like a summary of the cycle that Israel would be going through multiple times throughout the book. And we have read that God had specific instructions for Israel as as they entered into the land, and the specific instructions were to drive the people out of this land, to destroy their idols, and leave nothing behind. However, we know that Israel failed this task, and the angel of the Lord rebuked them and told them that they were going to be consequences for their disobedience. And I think Israel should have seen that coming, because allowing these tribes to live alongside with them would eventually lead to Israel's corruption. And we see this in uh, verses 5 through 6. Let's look at uh, Judges 3, verses 5 through 6. Say. Yeah, so the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Right, so now, as we think about this, this is the question. What would have caused the nation of Israel to experience this kind of spiritual amnesia? How did they forget the Lord their God? Besides, God had done things for Israel that would, would honestly be very difficult to forget. For example, let me ask you, would you forget about a God who literally split the sea in half right before your eyes? <laughs> so, just so that you could escape an oppressive land that you once we're in bondage in, right? It's, it's hard to forget. Would you forget about a God who brought plagues on a land as a form of judgment and punishment, but kept you and preserved you, right? This was a Passover. How could you forget such a miraculous event? Would you forget a God who, when you were hungry, literally dropped manna from the sky like, like the dew of the night to feed you while you were out in the wilderness. <laughs> we often joke <clears throat> when uh, children ask us for things. We would say to them, look, this stuff doesn't fall from the sky. Well, this stuff, this manna literally fell from the sky. And, and it was a sign to God's people that God was providing. It was his provision to them. And so you wonder, all these things that the Lord has done for Israel, how this nation would forget the Lord their God, and all his mighty acts. Uh, Pastor Ron mentioned something very important last week. <clears throat> he mentioned how one generation would serve the Lord, but then the next generation would not know the Lord and the works that he's done for Israel. Uh, chapter 2, verse 10 says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord and the work that he had done for Israel. And so, <clears throat> that phrase, knowing the Lord, 
is not implying that they had never been introduced to Yahweh, but that they didn't know him intimately as their God, nor did they honor his mighty acts from the past. And what contributed to the spiritual state of Israel was that they had already begun to mix in with the pagan culture from the nations that were left in the land. We see in verse 6 that it says, And their daughters they took for themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. And so the reality is that this was more than just a spiritual amnesia. When the scripture says that they forgot the Lord their God, this was really a form of forsaking God and his commandments. This was a gradual process of shifting from being a nation who lived in obedience to God to then committing idolatry and cheating on God with other gods. Now, what we have seen with Israel ought to cause us to examine our own present-day situation. So think about yourselves. If you're a Christian, in what ways have you yourself forgotten the Lord your God, let's say in the past? Think about that. How have you seen in your own Christian walk um, times where you yourself have forgotten the Lord? Isn't it true when we sin against the Lord, we're actually forgetting God in the way that we've been discussing? We almost become practical atheists in that very moment when we sin against the Lord. How many of us can testify times, even in our own Christian walk, when we have been momentarily influenced by something or someone worldly? And this worldliness sinfully corrupts our walk, right? It's those very moments that we basically deny the Lord, like Peter in the New Testament. We, like Israel, live in a culture mixed with many false gods and idols of our day, and where the true God, Yahweh, is rejected. Actually, many, many people may not have a problem with the true God as long as we worship their gods as well. But we see that God does not share his glory with others. I love what it says in Isaiah 42, 8. Isaiah 42, 8. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And so with Israel, we see this happen. Um, we see them uh, integrating with um, the cultures that deny Yahweh, that uh, followed these false gods. And so they went along with them. I love the way Jeremiah describes it. Jeremiah 2, 7. It says, And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. <clears throat> I love the wording in that verse. Defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So it seems to imply that their sin corrupted the place reserved for Israel to be a blessing, <clears throat> which then became the, a defiled place where sin and spiritual adultery would occur. And notice how it says, and made my heritage an abomination. 
The word heritage signifies the inheritance of all that pertained to the promises of God to Israel, which included the land, and most importantly, Yahweh himself, who would rule over them as their God. Now, uh, a heritage is usually defined as something that comes or belongs to one person or many people by reason of birth, right? An inherited lot or an inherited portion. And so the assumption is that Israel would grow generation after generation with this heritage. But notice what the Lord is saying in this verse. He says, and made my heritage an abomination. And this is important to note because although many generations were born into the heritage, it was, it was still a heritage that belonged to the Lord. In other words, a second generation of Israelites may assume blessings from merely being a part of this heritage by sheer birth, all while forgetting the Lord their God and making his heritage an abomination. Yet we see clearly throughout the whole account of Judges that each generation needs to know and needs to learn of God for themselves. Right? And we see the same thing with us as Christians. We, uh, we ought not to assume that uh, just because children are born in a Christian home that the children do not need to be uh, informed and educated in God and in the Scriptures. Uh, they just don't inherit the Christian faith. And so likewise, Israel, as a nation, they receive this inheritance from God, these promises. Yet, each generation after uh, would, would abandon God's ways, would forget the Lord their God. And so it goes to show that this heritage ultimately belongs to the Lord and required that each generation be... Uh, resubmit it to this heritage, um, learn about this heritage, uh, obey the commands of God, and so on and so forth. Uh, I love what John Calvin writes about this verse. He says, and I quote, For the same purpose, he calls it his heritage, as if he said that they possess the land by hereditary right, and yet the heritage belonged to the Father. They ought, therefore, to have considered that they had entered into the land because it had been given to Abraham and to his children for a heritage. By whom? By God, who is the fountain of this bounty, or this covenant. The more detestable, then, was their ingratitude when they made the heritage of God an abomination. End quote. So we can all learn from this example as well. See, our job as Christians today is to prevent the heritage from defilement or uh, abomination. And we carry, we carry this on from generation to generation, right? The gospel that was first entrusted to the apostles and delivered to us, this is what we carry on forward, right? And so our job is to train our people, right? Disciple our people. But also we are to train our children, disciple our children to live in obedience to the word. Whether if it's through uh, Sunday school or um, family worship. All these ways we ought to uh, take advantage of and 
uh, train up our children to live in obedience to the word and also to trust in the good news of Christ. Our children need to be uh, discipled and evangelized. And like Israel, the gospel needs to be preached again and again to every generation to come, lest our people also forget the Lord their God. Okay, let's look at point number two. Point number two is Israel's cry. And so let's go on in the, the following verses in our passage, uh, verses 8 through 9. It says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kishan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Kishan Rishathayim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So uh, here we see God's anger against Israel. And so God then punishes Israel by allowing them to be sold in the hands of Kishan Rishathayim, who was the king of Mesopotamia, serving him for eight years. Not much is said about this king. Uh, his name can be translated to mean a double evil Cushite. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, and for eight years they served this king under much oppression and labor. And, and this was the punishment from God for Israel's sin. However, we see that this judgment from God as hard as it may have been for Israel, did serve as a tool to drive them away from serving Baal and all the other gods, and eventually leading them to call out to the true God. What is great about our God, and we can see evident, evidently in, in these passages, that uh, his, his faithfulness is so uh, evident, Right? God is is faithful to what he promised, and uh, he's faithful to keep those whom are his. That even though we often fail God, he only disciplines those whom he loves. And you see that um, even though this punishment for Israel, it, by being slaves under the king of Mesopotamia, uh, this is still serving uh, the people of Israel this is still uh, working as a means of grace to these people. Secondly, we hear of Israel's cry in verse 9. It says here, But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them. Now, the word cried here is the verb za'ak in Hebrew, which many people have viewed it to mean repentance or conversion. Right, so people look, would look at this situation and, and they see the people of God cry out to God. Uh, and, and many would conclude, okay, this is Israel repenting. But studies have shown that whenever the word is used to mean repentance, it usually had an additional clause or a second verb uh, attached to it. And so, anyway... The point is that the word cried, when it's, it's just cried alone, wouldn't normally be repentance. Right? So when you see in this situation the word cried in that verse, um, 
it, it wouldn't normally represent real repentance. This is significant because it means that while Israel was oppressed under the king of Mesopotamia, they didn't necessarily repent of their sin, but rather they cried out to the Lord out of distress and misery. Interestingly, the Lord still responds to their cry by raising up a deliverer to save them. And this is important. This is important to note because it shows that when God raised up a savior for Israel, right, he was not reacting to any repentance on Israel's part. If anything, he was responding to their misery, rather their sorrow. Um, he was responding to their pain, right, rather than their penitence. So again, this is out of sheer grace that God is delivering them. I love what it says in Judges 10, uh, verse 16, which shows God's love for his people, right? Let's look at this verse here. Judges 10, 16 says, So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And, and watch this. He says, He became impatient over the misery of Israel. And so we, we've said it before, and I'll say it again. The Lord is gracious, and we see these acts of grace just hidden throughout Scripture. Um, see, God, He can see right through our actions and into our intentions. Yet He cares enough to give us undeserving grace. Right? And this is what we see when Israel cried out to God. God responded, not from Israel's repentance, right? Israel didn't repent. But God did see Israel in misery, and out of the love that God has, He decided to save these people. Um, so again, this is um, God displaying His mercy. Uh, point number three. Let's look at our handouts. Point number three says, Salvation is from the Lord. And so as we continue, this passage goes on in verse 10 through 11 saying, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Kishan Resathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Kishan Resathayim. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So, here we read that God raised up Othniel to save Israel by going to war against Kishon Resathayim. And God allowed Othniel to prevail over him, right? Winning, over, winning Israel over. But there's something worth noting. You might have noticed earlier in, in verse 8, it said that God had first sold Israel into the hand of Kishon Resathayim. And then later here in verse 10, we have the opposite thing happening, right? God is now giving Kishon Resathayim into Othniel's hand. So what's important, what's important to notice is that God is a sovereign ruler over all these activities that is happening on earth and throughout the universe. In other words, God is the one who places people and kingdoms in their position. I like what the commentator, uh, the commentator of the book of James, uh, Dale Davis, says about this point. He says, 
No one wears the political pants of history unless Yahweh issues them to him. So again, this shows us that even though many things are going on in space and time, all the details, God has ultimate control. And all things are moving according to his divine decree. From Israel's rebellion all the way to the ruling of their enemies. God is the one that raises kingdoms up and also brings them down according to what he wills. Check out what God says in Jeremiah 27, 5 through 7. Here he's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. says, It is I who by great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whom, whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I had given him also the beasts of the fields to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson, until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. Hmm. So, it doesn't matter whether it is Kishan Rishathayim or Assyria or Babylon. All of them, as well as the church, are under God's sovereign control. And for us, this truth should always be a comfort to us, especially us as his church, because we know that Jesus has already said, regarding his church, that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Therefore, we can trust that through the ups and downs of God's people throughout history, the church will prevail. And so, we see uh, in God's sovereign rule, in the way that he moves every detail of, of history according to his will, we can, ultim- we can ultimately conclude that salvation is ultimately from the Lord, right? Salvation on an earthly sense, with, with uh, what we see with Israel, but also salvation in a spiritual sense, of course. God is dictating everything. He is doing all things according to his sovereign plan. And verse 11 shows us a preview of that, right? We see that under the rule of Othniel, the people of God were able to have rest for at least 40 years until Othniel had passed away. And we see that it isn't until God restores fellowship with his people through the medium of his judges that they finally get rest. Now, even though this was only a temporary rest throughout the land for 40 years. It's definitely a pointer to the rest that we as Christians have in Christ, right? For us, God has restored this fellowship between us and himself, ultimately, through the medium of Christ's atoning work on the cross. And and even that, the fullness of this rest is still yet to come for us, right? We're looking forward to the uh, future rest, the new heavens and the the new earth, when his kingdom is fully and finally consummated. And so this is, again, another pointer to that that fulfillment, that one day um, we'll arrive in fully 
and that we're currently benefiting from to some extent. So, uh, in today's passage, we've discussed Israel forgetting the Lord their God, God punishing Israel, and Israel's cry to the Lord, and the reality that God is sovereignly orchestrating it all for His ultimate purposes, which shows us that salvation is from the Lord, and from the Lord only. Okay, so this concludes the section of Judges that, um, that we will be discussing today. So we'll continue on next week with the remainder of chapter 3. Amen? Any uh, questions or comments? No? Okay. All right, let me pray. Our Father, we come before you as a people who, like Israel, are in desperate need of your mercy and grace. We often forget you and your mighty acts. You have rescued us from our slavery and have given to us an inheritance in Christ Jesus. Yet we often defile it and make your inheritance an abomination. And so we ask that you increase our faith and our and our strength to walk in this faith so that your gospel would be proclaimed faithfully from generation to generation. We're confident that you will do this as you have promised in your word. And may it be so. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, guys.